Well, would you stand with me this morning as we read the word of God? I'm going to read uh, the text for today that we're going to focus on. And I just want us to stand and honor the Lord with that. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 1. It says this. Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise for his word today? Come on. And I just want to pray over us. Would you lift your hands all over the room? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that it is sharp and it pierces our hearts. And so even right now as I'm preaching what I believe you've given me to share today, I pray that your word would pierce my heart. That your word would pierce our hearts in this room. That we would open up to your word today and receive your heart and receive all that you have today. I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You can be seated this morning. How many of you would agree that what we have been through in the, in the last year or so has tested us? How many would say this last year has tested us in lots of ways? It has tested us in relationships. It has tested us in our unity. It has tested us in, in our church. It has tested the body of Christ. To say that people have a few different opinions is probably the understatement of the year. Right? Thank you for a few laughs. That was great. Few people are laughing over it. The rest of you are mad about it still. I'm joking. And while there may be, uh, there's no big house fires or forest fires that I'm aware of that are going on in our church, I'm aware of the battle that is happening in the atmosphere to try and divide the body of Christ. I'm aware of it. We know that the enemy, the devil, he uh, is scheming and prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. And one of the ways he loves to devour people is by devouring relationship. Devouring, he wants to destroy relationship. His mission, remember, is to kill, steal, and destroy. So wherever we see destruction and killing and and all of that, we know that that's the work of the enemy. And so for us as believers, we must be awake and we must be alert and we must be aware and watchful and sober-minded so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I am not one that preaches about the devil. You almost never hear me say it. But there are moments that we have to be aware of his craftiness and what he's doing. And the primary way that we do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on him. So we have to guard ourselves and others from falling into his traps and his schemes that come through offense, right? That come through bitterness, that come through uh, judgment, that can come through gossip, come through misunderstandings, and even differences among us. How many would say, I have some differences with some people? I mean, that's, that's, that's how it goes. How many are married? I have a few differences from the person I live with, right? And the atmosphere that's around us literally swirls right now with discord. I mean, we can feel it. It's just, it's like it's, it's swirling with discord. It swirls with offense. But our fight and our wrestle is not with people. Our fight and our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we know this, but sometimes we engage otherwise. Ephesians chapter 6, you're familiar with the verse. The Passion reads it like this, verse 12. It says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. And I believe that in this very, very tender moment that we are in, that we, the church of Jesus Christ, must protect the atmosphere. 
We must protect the atmosphere in our marriages. We must protect the the atmosphere in our families, in the places of influence that we have, that we are called to those places to protect the atmosphere. And certainly in the church, we're to protect the atmosphere. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, and I believe what he's saying to Hope Church today, is he's saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That your life, that my life would tell the story of Jesus. That your life and my life would tell the God story through our relationships and through our unity. Who he is. He says, I urge you. Other translations say, I plead with you. He says in one, in the NIV says, I beg you. I beg you. It's a passionate plea that he's giving to the church to live in a way that is worthy of your calling by God. So what is the call? And in this specific passage, the call is is not an individual call, but it's a call to the community. It's a call to unity. It is not just a call to be, you know, a nurse or a doctor or your specific call to be, you know, I don't know, a stay-home parent or a or a pastor or a business person or something like that. This call is the call that is to be lived out through total allegiance and loyalty to Jesus above everything else. And in this passage, he's speaking specifically about unity in the body of Christ. We see this, we read this all through the writings of Paul, instructions on the centrality of working to maintain, working to grow, and working to defend the unity that we have in Jesus. How many know that that maintaining unity takes work? It takes work. And to overcome And to literally squash anything that has or is trying to destroy or break apart relationships and unity among believers. And what Paul has given us here in these few verses is the basic manual for how to walk out this call. He begins with humility. Can we say that word together? Humility. It looks like walking with all Humility. Other translations say, be completely humble. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Be completely humble. To walk out our calling that he's talking about here, it is going to take humility. And the culture that we're, we're a part of right now, around us, sometimes even in us, it is filled with pride, it is filled with arrogance, it is, it's filled with mean and ugly swirling around us, frustrations all around us. And what Paul is doing is he's calling us to the exact opposite. The exact opposite. He says, walk in humility. How do we navigate this moment that we're in? Humility. How do we navigate the, 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 what's ahead of us and where we are right now? Humility. How many would agree we need some humility in our day? So what does it look like? What does humility look like? And so I just was thinking about it, praying about it, and I wrote a few things down. These are by no means an exhaustive list of what humility is, but I think for starters, humility looks like me not thinking or acting like I know everything. That'll set you free right there. Humility looks like me not thinking or acting like I know everything about everything. I, I, this moment, it's, it's shocking to me how many people know everything. <laughs> like, you're so smart. You know exactly what's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, a couple of you do. I think humility looks like being open to the idea that I may not understand or see everything rightly. That I could be missing something. That I could be missing something. You, and you think about this in marriage or friendship. Uh, how many know you could be missing something? I could be missing something. I may not understand or see how I'm coming across. But humility will say, hey, I I want to understand how I'm coming across. I want to understand how I'm coming across. I want to understand what's going on here. Even though I may have a preconceived idea about what's going on here, I may not fully know what's going on here. Humility is realizing that I may have some growing to do. That I may have some growing to do. 
Humility, I think, is I don't have to be right, even if I am. Right? Like, I don't have to be, (laughs) some wives are elbowing their husbands. (laughs) I don't have to be right, even if I am. That I can be corrected without being defensive. That I'm teachable. I think humility looks like I own my actions. That I own my behavior. And that I'm quick to repent. And that I'm quick to forgive. And here's something to think about. That anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. (sighs) Say that again? Okay. Anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. And when I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I get blind. And I can't see. And I think that this is a real issue that we face right now that the Lord wants to grow us up in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. View others as more important than yourselves. See, pride wants to control. Humility wants to connect. Pride wants to control. Humility wants to connect. I'm going to say that one again. Pride wants to control, but humility wants to have a heart connect. Putting others first, seeing others as more important than ourselves. Somebody said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of, it's, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I don't know where I heard that. I've heard it several times in my life. I think that's powerful. It doesn't mean being a wimp. I think sometimes we have this idea that like humility is like being wimpy, but humility is actually strength. Humility is actually recognizing my need for the Lord. Humility is actually recognizing my need for, for his leadership in my life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. I say that all the time because I think it's so powerful. Blessed are those who recognize their need, who know that they don't know and have all the answers to everything, but they need the leadership of the Lord. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? Church humility, I believe, is one of the most critical things for us right now in how we navigate and walk out all that's happening around us. We cannot expect the world to be humble. The world does not follow Jesus. The church follows Jesus, and he is the most humble there ever was. Second thing that he says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in all humility with gentleness. (laughs) It's not something we talk about a lot. This quality is... Of gentle, gentleness is this quality of being kind and tender hearted. How many know we need some kindness and some tender heartedness right now? I think that when we say gentle, I think we think maybe in the same thing of the idea of being wimpy, but gentleness isn't that. It's, it's the way we carry ourselves with kindness and the way we carry ourselves with tenderness, even when we're dealing with serious situations and conflicts. That I can say hard things and difficult things, but I can say them with gentleness. I can di- discipline my children in moments of real, real moments, you know. And I can do it with gentleness. I can have a conflict or a disagreement with my wife, but I can, I can address her with gentleness. I can have an issue with a friend or, or see something differently that's going on in the world, but I can, I can do it with kindness and I can do it with tenderness and I can actually speak the truth, but I do it with a tender heart. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. 
Have you thought about what that is? He, he, he was saying, if you're weary, if you're burdened, I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Sometimes I think we get so wore out because we're fighting in our flesh. And instead he says, hey, no, 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 don't do it that way. Come to me, learn from me. Look how I walk because I'm gentle and humble of heart. I feel this for us today, that in this moment that we are in, that even as we're working through the difficulties of doing life together, that as we talk through the the tough stuff of life, whether that's in friendship or marriage or church or whatever, that we do it with tenderness and kindness. Some of you may say, well, my personality just really isn't gentle. Guess what? Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Ha ha, gotcha. Right? (laughs) You say, I'm just, I'm a gruff person. No, no, no. The spirit of God fills you. The fruit of the spirit flows out of your life and it translates into gentleness. You're like, well, I like the truth. Yeah, I do too. But you can release it in a gentle spirit. You can release it with kindness and gentleness. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness is something that is to be seen. It is something that is to be known in the life of all believers. It is not harsh. It is not reactionary. It is not easily exasperated. A kind word, a gentle word turns away wrath. Have you ever experienced this? The Lord spoke this to us years ago with our oldest daughter, Olivia. When she was younger, we were just having this stretch of just like whatever. And you know, when parents get tired, we want to control our children. (laughs) Right? Okay, just me. Sorry. Um, You know, you're you're like, and the Lord spoke to my wife. She said, the Lord said to me, a kind word turns away wrath. And we shifted and we continued to discipline and address things, but we did it with kindness. And guess what? That girl shifted right away. There's a truth in us walking with gentleness and kindness. When we walk with gentleness, we emulate Jesus and we walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling as a husband, as a father, as a, as a pastor, as a leader of, of a church, I have to have difficult conversations quite often. But my prayer is I want to have those conversations with gentleness. My heart is always, Holy Spirit, help me to release the heart of Jesus. Help me to release the heart of the Father as I have this conversation because I want to do it and I want to look like you. I want to show this person who you are, by the way. And I'm not perfect. I mess up. And I oftentimes have to repent. I was thinking about this week. There were a couple things that popped up that happened this week that, that where, I, where I did not feel gentleness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I did not feel to be gentle about a few situations. And, and all of a sudden, I kind of justified my lack of gentleness, you know, in my mind. And then, and then, like, all of a sudden, I was just kind of hanging out with the Lord, and he brought it to me. And he was like, oh, no, no, that's not me. I'm gentle and humble of heart. Learn from me. And all of a sudden, he shifted that thing in me. Where I was ready to not be gentle about a few things, he shifted that in me, and all of a sudden the fruit of the Spirit began to flow in my heart. Now I just want to be gentle. See, I think sometimes what I hear is sometimes when we talk about words like humble and gentle and love, oh, we just need to love. It's almost like we see it as like a lesser than, but church, I want to tell you, it's everything. It really is everything. For the followers of Jesus Christ, it is everything. So he says, humility, gentleness. He says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. With patience, bearing with one another in love. I love how the the Passion Translation reads verse 2 here. It says, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. (laughs) Isn't that great news? 
(laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, that was for you. (laughs) Turn to the other one and say, that was for me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Bearing with one another in love. What in the world does bearing with one another in love mean? I think it's this. Paul knows that there is diversity in our relationships. There's diversity in relationships, that there's going to be real differences, and differences mean difficulties. I mean, when I got married to Christy almost 20 years ago, I did not realize we had some differences until we started living in a house together. And differences mean some difficulties. Can I hear an amen from the married people, right? It's just, it's the way it works. Everybody is not going to think or be like you. He's saying you're going to need, you're going to need humility, you're going to need gentleness, and you're going to need patience to bear with one another in love. There's going to be moments that test you and try you, and you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. That this bearing with one another doesn't have to do with when somebody necessarily has done you wrong that's addressed in other places or sinned against you. We'll get to that in a little bit, which requires forgiveness. But bearing with one another, hear this, church. I think this is so powerful for right now. Bearing with one another has to do with differences between believers. It has to do with personality clashes. It has to do with the differences in perspectives or viewpoints. Can I... Hear an amen on that. That's what this, in marriage, it can be about, about how you squeeze the toothpaste out of the bottle. Right? Like, it can be about the preferences and how you keep your house. It can be the preferences and on how you keep the thermostat. See, Christy and I were very compatible in our whole marriage. And then all of a sudden, guys, the devil has just been coming into our marriage with the thermostat and bringing division. I'm not kidding you. I used to be the guy that was hot all the time. Now it's switched. And I'm like, how? you know what? She's going to kill me. She's actually not here. She may be watching online. I love you, baby. Uh, how many would say 63 is too cold? That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say which way it goes in our house. Pray for me. I need prayer. I may need to repent. That may not have been honoring. (laughs) Oh boy. I'm not going to look at my phone right now. How many know that there's differences in how you spend your money? There's, There's differences how you raise your kids, whatever. Among believers, it can be differing opinions about sports teams, right? Go Chiefs. Amazing. See, we've got differences here in the room. Differences in just general perspectives and viewpoints on things that, that aren't even like doctrine or things that, that really matter. You know, there's differences in who people voted for. Why you voted for them, right? Right now, there's a lot of differences and clashes of opinions over masking, over vaccinating, Right? Like all these things, like it could, it could be your opinion about what the priority of the church should be doing or not doing or, or what music you like or don't like. There are so many perspectives and differences and convictions. And that's what Paul is speaking to right here. Bear with one another in love. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about heresy. He's talking about the differences in the church. Bearing with one another. We could say put up with one another in love. And this putting up is not like a gritting of the teeth, like totally I have to tolerate somebody. He's talking about loving people that are different from you. That think different from you. That might even be passionately opposed to some of your perspectives or viewpoints. Don't break fellowship over it. Bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. In love. What does love look like? Well, we all have 1 Corinthians 13 practically memorized. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. 
It's, it doesn't insist on its own way. <sighs> Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends is what it says, right? Man, I pray that God would awaken this love in our hearts, what it means to love. Guess what it says? It says what's going to end? Prophecies will end. Guess what? The prophecies that are out there right now that people believe or don't believe, they will end, but love will not end. Love will not end. Tongues will end, it says. Knowledge will pass away. That's the Holy Spirit calling in. Knowledge will pass away. It's getting louder. (laughs) Knowledge will pass away, but love never ends. This love that we're seeing here is what God demonstrated to us in Jesus. God has put up with a whole lot in my life. Has he in yours? Shouldn't we bear with one another and put up with one another in his love? I'm not talking about unrighteousness. I'm going to get to the things we have to deal with in a little bit. But I just think this is our posture. Like, God, give me your heart to bear with one another in love, in moments of differences. I just, I just want to remind us that through our lives as believers, we are telling the Jesus story. That through our lives and our interactions in our marriages, in our, in our, in our workplaces, in our relationships, that we are telling the God story by how we bear with one another. That the way that we treat and the way that we handle people tells the story of who God is. Did you know that when we we walk in this love and we bear with one another in love, that we're actually showing the world who he is? They'll know that we're Christians by our love. I was honestly so deeply saddened when at the beginning of this whole virus stuff that when our leadership... And our trustees, in, in, in prayer and discussion, we made the decision that we were going to honor our city leadership and wear masks. That there were, there were a few people, a handful of people at that time that when I made that announcement, they literally left hope over it. Even went on social media and just let us have it for all the world to see. And church, I got to tell you, just as your pastor, that grieved my heart. That grieved my heart. Church, there's going to be differing opinions and perspectives among us. Don't leave when you don't get your way. Let's bear with one another in love. Let's bear with one another in love. Let's bear with one another in love. Let's not break fellowship. I read something this last week from Chris Valentin that he wrote, and he said, it'll be impossible to experience unity with one another if our value system is based on agreement and not on the reality that we are distinctly unique children of God. Our unity, church, is not based on our agreement with each other. Our unity is based on our agreement with him. Our unity is based on our agreement with him, seeing him and each other amidst our differences and bearing with one another in love, loving people regardless of how wrong or right they are. And church, this is going to require some humility. This is going to require some walls to be broken down. The last one says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The message says it like this, steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Can everybody say quick? quick? Quick. Don't let stuff grow. When offenses grow, we get blind. 
all of a sudden, everything looks different. But when we are quick to see the differences and quick to address the ones that we're supposed to address, which many of the differences we just need to bring to the Lord in prayer and he changes our heart and we don't even have to talk about it, right? But when that time comes where there are some things that need to be addressed, which I'll get into in a minute, like let's address those and let's be quick to do it so we don't give the enemy a foothold to get in there, bring division, bring discord, The NIV says it like this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Make every effort. Romans 12, one of my favorite verses, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Church, I just want to tell you, you know, we've been talking about this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago that we're we're a holy nation. We're a set of our people. This is our kingdom responsibility. That as far as it depends on you, make every effort to live at peace with all people. Turn to somebody and say, make every effort. Seriously, do it. Make every effort. We have a great responsibility as believers to pursue peace within the body of Christ. And what I'm not talking about um, is being a, a peacekeeper. Okay? I'm not talking about being a peacekeeper. I'm talking about being a peacemaker. And there's a difference. A peacekeeper is going to try and avoid conflict. A peacekeeper will try and steer clear of disagreements. A peacekeeper will try and avoid the tensions and not have conversations. But church, I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is called to live in the tension. We're actually called to live right in the middle of the tension. A peacemaker doesn't avoid the issues, but rather addresses the heart of the issues and the tensions in order that real peace can live. Peacemakers pursue reconciliation. They don't sweep things under the rug. They speak to what is wrong in an effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Come on. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the sons of God. They're the sons of God. I think that this is important for us always, no matter what year it is or what season it is. But I think that this is especially important for us right now in the season that we find ourselves in. Paul's saying, you need to be eager. You need to look for ways that you can make peace. You need to make every effort as far as it depends on you. In other words, if there's anything you can possibly do to make something right, do it. Do it. That you'd live at peace with all. If there's there's a way that you can mend a fence, go and mend that fence. It's going to require humility. And it's going to require effort. But pursue it. A little bit later in that same chapter, Ephesians 4 Verse 15, he says this, he says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, this unity, this peace will require speaking the truth in love. It's going to require that. It seems like most people are often really good at like one or the other. (laughs) I got the truth and I'm going to tell it. You know, or, or I just think this idea of love isn't confronting, which is not true, right? But speaking the truth in love. Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? Jesus wasn't like on a scale of one to 10. He wasn't like a, a 10 truth and a five on grace. He was a 10 and a 10. We look to him like we're full of grace and truth. Speaking the truth in love, which is going to require humility, Is this helping anyone today? I want to just spend the last few minutes talking really practically about how this looks and how we actually demonstrate this through our lives. And I'm not glorifying division or disunity. I actually believe the church can live totally counterculture to that. I don't know that we've seen that happen in the church at large, but I actually believe Hope Church can live totally counterculture to the division and the spirit of the age right now. I believe we can. I believe Jesus invites us to, and he invites us to do that even in the midst of seeing things differently. 
But with the division and the disunity and the fence that's swirling all around us, that's my word swirl. I think I use the word swirl and squirrel a lot. It's a little squirrely. It's a little swirly, right? It's all swirling around. And I think even in the church that we have to decide who we're going to be. That the, the pressures around us, as powerful they are, do not decide who we're going to be. We decide who we're going to be. We decide who we're going to be in the moment of pressure. The pressures and the divisions aren't creating the condition of our hearts. They're revealing the condition. That's what we have to remember in moments of great pressure, in moments of great intensity, that they don't create what's in you. They reveal what is in us. That we have to determine that, that who we are going to be in the midst of the pressure. And we determine that by aligning with Jesus and his word. And that is offenses come, and Jesus says they are going to come as disagreements come, as misunderstandings come, and they are. As these things come to try and break up our marriages and break up our friendships and our fellowship, we have to decide who we're going to be ahead of time. Not by aligning with our, the emotions of the day or the moment, or even by our own perspectives, but by aligning with the word of God and how Jesus says to live. I mean, that's what it is to be a believer, right? To walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We have to make these decisions ahead of time or we won't know how to walk through them in his way. I feel this for us as a church so much right now. We've had peace. We have had unity for like almost 20 years in this place. It has been beautiful. We still have it. But church, I want to tell you, we have to protect it. We have to protect it. Offenses are not optional. They are going to come, but being offended is optional. That is the truth. Offenses are going to come, but being offended is an option for us. And when we become offended, it impacts our vision of literally everything. People that are offended begin to see, said this earlier, see everyone and everything through that offense, through that negativity. Things that would normally be no big deal all of a sudden become big deals. And I just want to take two little passages as we're wrapping it up here of what Jesus says and how that we should handle these sorts of things. Matthew 18, many of you know this. Verse 15, this is what he says. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. How many want that outcome? church, I believe this right here is actually transformational for the church. I believe in some ways we kind of know this, but I'm not sure how much we practice this. If the church did this, actually practiced this, I believe that it would transform our relationships. Like our levels of unity and connectedness would go through the roof. It's called being eager to maintain the bond of peace. Do we have an eagerness to maintain the bond of peace? This is what we do when a member of the body of Christ hurts us, offends us, sins against us. We don't go and share it with a friend or friends. I know this seems very basic, but I've been pastoring for about 25 years and I have yet to see the church really walk in this. Sometimes I think because we're too afraid or we don't know how it'll go, but I believe if we get the heart of Jesus on this, we will actually see relational breakthrough like we have never seen before. We don't, so we don't go to friends and share it. We don't form alliances. Jesus says, go to the person alone by yourself. It's very specific and very clear, and it requires courage and humility. And I would suggest that you pray before you go. <laughs> I would suggest praying before you go so that you would carry his heart for the situation. And actually you would go in a spirit of love and you would go with, with his heart so you can actually speak the truth in love. But here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes we find that as we pray about that issue beforehand, when we really bring it to the Lord in prayer, what we find is that it actually wasn't them. It was me. Like, sometimes this is what happens, that, oh, actually, 
I don't even think that they really even did that. I think that that was something that only God was trying to work out in me. Have you ever had that happen? Verse 16, he goes on, he says, but if, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I'd actually like to suggest to you that, that if, if you do that and it comes to that, that you take wise and godly people, that you don't take offended people. <laughs> That'll be bad. That you don't take angry people but you take those that are full of wisdom, full of honor, and people that would also be willing to tell you the truth as the details of the offense emerge. Because what I've learned is that when I walk into things and I think I know the whole story, I don't know the whole story until I get there. And if I'm so locked up on me and I'm not ready to walk in love and I'm worried about being right, I'm not going to be able to walk in love. And so you need somebody there that's not going to just be on your side. You need someone there that's going to be willing to speak truth. Most situations that I've witnessed are resolved in the first two steps. But if it isn't resolved there, Jesus says, then you go and tell the church. Guys, we're going to start it. This is a part of our services on Sunday morning. I'm just kidding. Come on, laugh with me. This is serious. Now we're going to read the grievances. I thought that was funnier than most of you. Tell the church and regard that person as an unbeliever, an outsider. That's serious stuff. I want to tell you, unity is serious stuff to Jesus. He gave his life for our unity. He gave his entire life that we would be one. Listen to this, Matthew 5. He says it like this, a different scenario, verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So the first passage was if somebody sinned against you, go to him. And here it says, if you remember that somebody has something against you, go to him. It's interesting, Jesus isn't speaking to what somebody else should do. Actually, Jesus can't speak to you about what somebody else should do. He can only speak to you about what you should do. <laughs> we often think, oh, that person should come to me. That they should do this or that or whatever. But Jesus is saying, no, you go to them. Church, the truth is they might not even know what they did. They might not even have a clue. But I love this, that as you're offering your gift in worship, Holy Spirit reminds you about something. And he says, go. And you can feel the urgency, the importance of this to Jesus. If you're a church about to give your offering, and that's a sacred moment, isn't it? and you remember a quarrel or you have that you've had with a fellow believer, leave your gift there, run, make that right, and come back and bring your offering later. Guys, this is so practical, isn't it? And so beautiful. What would happen if we actually practiced this and instead of avoiding people and division coming, we actually broke through an intimacy and relationship and love with one another? I think this is, this is a picture, these two little stories of the Jesus is telling us is a picture of what it looks like to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. This is what it looks like that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. What we're talking about today is maturing. This is a message for maturing, mature believers to grow up in every way. I'm going to close with these two verses really quick. First Peter 1 8. Get this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Hear this, the covering of sins and offenses here is not about 
is not dealing or addressing, uh, the covering of sins and offenses here is not about not dealing or addressing with the sins and offenses. We have to do that. The covering here is not done by the person who's committed the offense. That would be a cover-up, right? Like, that would be sin. What it's saying here is the one that the offense has been done to is the one that covers in love. That covers in love. Who chooses not to repeat the offense, but releases it and covers it in love. It's the kind of love that bears all things. That looks not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. This is the Jesus love. This is the Jesus way. The love that he shows us, that he commands us to love with this love in which he's loved us. Guys, do you feel the freedom on this? I I believe that there's a freedom coming to the church. I believe there's a freedom coming to the church through this. I believe that the atmosphere that's been, uh, you know, attacked is is literally going to emerge with the kingdom breaking out in relationships in the church. I do. There's so many moments and opportunities for division and offense. It's like a buffet. Remember when we used to have those (laughs) before COVID? (laughs) You know, you go up to that buffet and it's like all this stuff is like calling your name, like choose me, choose me. I feel like offenses right now are like a buffet. Division is like, like a buffet. But church, here's what I want to challenge you with as we close, that there, there might be offenses, but we have to determine who we're going to be in those offenses. There might be divisions. There might be gossip, but it will not come through me. It will not come through me. I will not be a part of any of that. But I will walk with him in the way that he calls me to walk. Church, the spirit of offense, the spirit of division, the spirit of gossip is a demonic intrusion. And today we can say, by the spirit of the living God, I will have no part of it. I'm going to pursue peace. I'm going to pursue relationship and connection. Would you stand with me this morning? Um, I want to just challenge you, and I'm going to read a prophetic word that was given to our church uh, 19 years ago. But I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit if there is a conversation or conversations that you need to have in order to bear with one another in love in order to release peace. And I believe that you're going to walk out of here today and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about some things that you need to do. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but there's just been weirdness. Maybe you just need to take somebody out for lunch just to kind of hang out and laugh together and and the Lord washes over that thing. Do you know what I'm saying? How many say there might be somebody I need to reach out to? Just me and one other. That's awesome. Almost 19 years ago, our church went through a really, really hard thing. It was right before I came, a few months before I came. And in that moment, uh, there was great division in our church. Uh, Pastor Gary shared before about this. Um, There were several uh, people, staff members in the church that rose up against the church. It was just ugly, ugly, ugly time. And uh, somebody that Pastor Gary knew, but Uh, didn't hang out with, didn't know anything about what was going on, uh, sent him a vision that he had. He he worked at ORU. He was a faculty member there. And uh, I want to read that to you today. 19 years later, hear this. He said, I received this vision on my way out of faculty chapel today. He said, I drove around for an hour thinking and praying about it, decided to write it down and ask God what to do with it. He said, I saw a fine new house with a good foundation, but the front door was left open. I began to notice shadows of strange persons or beings in some of the windows. Upon closer inspection, I found that three rooms of the house were under the dominion of three evil spirits. I asked, what are these spirits? The answer, deception, suspicion, and control. They'd occupied and gained control of these three rooms. Their feet were made of fear. They moved freely among the rooms with great speed and agility. I asked, how did they get there? The answer, the door was left open and the strong man was bound. How was he bound? With pride, 
with greed and sloth. And at first I thought the strong man was a man and then realized he was actually the Holy Spirit. He said, I saw the house again and realized a stream of needy people were passing by and not coming up to the door because they could hear the fighting and the bickering inside and saw the shadows in the windows. And I asked, what can be done to cleanse this house and make it safe again? Cast out the spirits, release the strong man and guard the home from further intrusion. So how can the spirits be removed, he asked. The control by love. The suspicion by love. The deception, he thought, by truth. Also by love. This answer surprised me. He said, I saw the house once more with the doors closed and all the rooms filled with light. Beautiful people were inside every room holding each other arm in arm. The spirit came back and tried the door, but it was locked. Then tried to get through the windows, also locked. Then tried to get someone from inside to let him in. And as long as the arms of the people remained joined, there was no chance of anyone opening the door <laughs> and they remained safe. He said, I realized that they would come back from time to time, but as long as the people kept their arms joined together, there was no chance for them to get in. Eventually they would give up. Church, I believe that this moment that we are in, this wild moment, it is a moment for us to link our arms together and say we will not allow division, pride, all the control, all those things come in, but we're going to stand together in unity. How many would agree with me on that? I'm going to close in prayer today, and I want you, if you're with somebody, grab them and do this with them, okay? Because we're going to link arms as just a... a, a symbol of our of our obedience today and and if you're with somebody that you're okay with doing that with do it too so we're gonna pray jesus i thank you i thank you for your word today i ask that it would pierce our hearts and i pray that today we would be a people who stand arm in arm walking in love bearing with one another in love so filled with the love that you have shown us that the world would be jealous of our love for one another and that they would begin to run to us because it is so attractive this love I pray in the name of Jesus that we would refuse offense, refuse gossip, that we would refuse those things, and we would not allow any windows or doors to be open to it, but we would walk together in the spirit of unity to the call that you have called us to walk. And I pray that in Jesus' name, and everybody said, can we give the Lord a shout of praise together today? I mean, really, can we give him a shout of praise? I pray freedom over you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Church, we love you. I encourage you, invite somebody out to first watch or something for breakfast. We love you. God bless you this week.